Influential podcast dedicated to the profession of pharmacy with over 80,000 listeners worldwide. Welcome to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Pharmacy Podcast Nation, if you didn't know, if this is the first time you're listening, you always get a little, I don't know, rah-rah for Steelers. Hey, I'm sorry. I'm a Pittsburgh fan. I'm from Pittsburgh. I grew up in Pittsburgh. I grew up north of the city. So I'm a proud black and gold. If you haven't seen our new website, <laughs> I wanted to play that Wiz Khalifa song, Black and Black and Yellow, Black and Yellow, all the time, but we can't because it's obviously it's uh it's copyrighted. But our roots, my roots, came from the Steel City. And there is an organization in the Steel City, in Pittsburgh, called the Pittsburgh Business Group, who focuses on improving benefits for hundreds of employers across southwestern Pennsylvania. And they really bring together some of the thought leaders, not only in the Pittsburgh region, but all across the nation. And there was an event that was taking place earlier in uh, 2021 where they did bring together C-suite officers, uh, keynote speakers, and really kind of, it was a think tank time. I didn't get to attend the event, but we'll definitely be at the next. Pharmacy benefits is a ongoing issue in the life of our pharmacists who are trying to become more consultative and be paid for ongoing treatment management, as well as data analytic providers who want to understand the world of AWP and 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 um, and and how to really price out medications, and it always seems like it's a moving target. So today is a special episode because we're bringing two leaders in the world of benefits from different components of what that means to the podcast, and I want to introduce Jessica Brooks, who's the CEO of Pittsburgh Business Group. And I also want to talk about Alva 10 and how they're changing things and their executive team leader, Lena Chaihorsky. Welcome to the Pharmacy Podcast, both of you. Thank you. I'm excited to be here and I appreciate the tribute to Pittsburgh. I'm a native as well to the region from the Mon Valley and uh, happy to be a part of this uh, significant conversation that uh, is one that is a priority to all of my members. So excited for the conversation. Definitely. Thanks for having me today, Todd. I'm looking forward to the discussion. Thank you, Lena. We met on LinkedIn and I started poking around at what you were doing and, and I was kind of got excited from the technology that you're bringing to the table for, um, for benefits. And just so our listeners know, I'm going to start with you, Lena. Give us a short overview of Alvatech. Sure. Um, so I'm the co-founder and vice president of Payer Innovation at Alvatech. And Alba 10 is a company that we started about six years ago now to solve what our founding team saw as really one of the major problems in precision medicine um, and in healthcare spending. And the problem that we saw was essentially that you had all of these insurance companies, these PBMs, these specialty pharmacies, everybody paying for specialty drugs for a variety of downstream medical procedures 
without knowing whether or not that procedure or that drug was going to work on the patient before it was being paid for. And we know that on average, the response rate of an FDA approved drug is about 36%. And so we know that there's a tremendous amount of waste in the system when you are uh, prescribing drugs and prescribing uh, therapeutic pathways for patients without knowing if they're going to work, right? We, we don't even treat our cars that way. So why would we treat our people that way? And we really saw diagnostics as an incredible opportunity um, and the diagnostic industry as basically sitting to the sidelines developing all this technology to be able to answer questions like that. And that diagnostic industry was completely siloed from the payers, the PBMs, the specialty pharmacies, and all the employers um, and the payers of healthcare. And we went out into the market and we created a business model that connects these two disparate groups for the first time. And, and that's all the 10. Um, so we work between the employers, the payers, the PBMs, um, and the diagnostic industry to ensure that the diagnostic industry is developing exactly those tests that solve the biggest clinical and economic challenges for payers. And we are unlocking tremendous innovation, bringing new concepts, new diagnostic tests to the table by figuring out what the problems are and then creating targeted solutions to those problems. It's really exciting work. It is, and it's a nice follow-up from the interview with Dr. Becky Winslow when you were talking about the impact of pharmacogenomics on uh, benefits and how improving market, market access and reimbursement uh, through that as a component of, of prior decisions to be made. Is this the right medication for someone who is suffering with depression why not have them tested first to ensure that they're going to absorb the medication as intended and as designed? So when we think of the organizations that are bringing all of this together, the organization I'm thinking of that I'm excited about today to introduce to the Pharmacy Podcast Nation is the Pittsburgh Business Group. Jessica, give us, a back, give us some background on uh, this organization that's been around since the 1980s. Yes, I'm happy to. So yeah, PBGH, uh, affectionately known <laughs> as PBGH, we're the Pittsburgh Business Group One Health. Uh, we've, uh, as you mentioned, we're a 40-year-old plus organization now, really launched out of the Pittsburgh Chamber of Commerce um, and the Allegheny Conference many, many years ago by CEOs. And uh, those CEOs came together, uh, several companies, and said, hey, no one's going to fix health healthcare unless we uh, get in a room together, independent from the system, and determine and talk to one another, find out what's going on, um, create a level of benchmarking and transparency, at least amongst ourselves, and then come up with a plan together to put pressure on healthcare. And that's how we started. We started with business leaders stepping up. Over time, they began to uh, delegate uh, the responsibility to their HR benefits leaders uh, and that's who primarily is represented within our uh, coalition today are, are those who make the frontline decisions and are the conduits between the C-suite, the CEOs and the CFOs and the people um, that they are delivering the benefits to, to retain and attract, uh, to ultimately produce um, uh, productivity for and bottom line results for their companies. And um, we started out really with education, and that was the that's the foundation of PPGH. We provide a lot of education. The symposium that you referenced is an example of that. It was our, uh, I think, our 20th um, symposium 
Um, so for 20 years, we've had that particular event, but we do many, many other events throughout the year. Um, some focus directly on prescri prescription drugs, specialty drugs, uh, precision medicine, uh, chronic conditions that um, drugs are generic rates. I mean, so many, so many things within the drug space that we cover and many, many trends because it's been an increased cost for employers um, at a significant rate for, for the entirety of, the, of my tenure here, which is eight years and many, many years um, preceding that. But really, really in the last eight years, I would say has been a core focus um, in addition to medical and sometimes taking the stage over medical benefits. And um, so we provide education. We have a group purchasing division. So we, uh, we actually have a PBM contracting relationship that we've had for 20 years now, started by employers who again said, hey, why don't we bring our lives together and our purchasing power and see if we can no negotiate better rates? Um, we can do it together um, better than we can alone. And so for 20 years, we've been uh, leading in group purchasing in the drug space for, for a long time and have diversified that service line um, in other areas, including data and analytics and quality metrics. And then we, um, of course, advocate. We advocate first and foremost on surprise billing and market dynamics uh, and look to uh, organizations like Alva 10 to bring us great insights and thought leadership and solutions that we can continue to expose uh, to our members so that our families ultimately and our neighbors can be taken care of. Jessica, the last symposium, congratulations on 25 years, was packed with some amazing people. One of those um, per, uh, people, one of your key, your special virtual keynote speaker was Marshall Allen, who's been on the Pharmacy Podcast Network talking about um, his uh, latest book called Never Pay the First Bill. And the brilliance of that <clears throat> book really going in and under and helping his reader to understand the what's happening behind the scenes with our fractured and and old school uh, health payer system, which is going through this uh, mammoth evolution, especially in the PBM space. And uh, you also had, goodness gracious, uh, <laughs> the one and only Andrew Yang as your as your 2021 keynote speaker. You know, I I lean towards the conservative side of of politics, but. My goodness gracious, if we could have the brain power of Andrew Yang in the White House, um, I'm all, I'd have been all for that just because of the way that he, you know, he thinks. It's just, he reminds me of the disruptor of what Uber did to the taxi, um, you know, industry and how that really changed the game of, of transportation in that ways. And he, you know, I think that was almost in some ways a, a threat to the status quo, but I, I think things are, you know, fracturing the status quo in a good way. And that's why I wanted to have the both of you come on today and and give us uh, some of your uh, future thought of what you see coming based on the changes that you see happening today. And uh, Lena, you see a lot of changes that you um, dig into the data from that perspective. And then Jessica, you're seeing it from the stories that are being told from the benefit managers and the small business owners and the big health systems. We have several huge health systems in Pittsburgh that you probably are able to glean um, information from with AHN and then obviously UPMC. But let me kick it back to Lena. Where, where do you think this is, even from the symposium, where do you think this is all going and how fast 
do you think we can make major changes uh, to to healthcare and to our PBMs? So I think that this is all going in a really positive direction um, for a couple key reasons. The first, the first reason is that I think employers have hit a critical breaking point um, from the perspective of the amount of money that they are spending on specialty drugs. And what they're seeing is that the solutions that are being brought to them by their traditional PBMs, by their brokers, basically fall into one of two categories. Category one is, let's try to get a better price on the drug. Um, and category two is, let's try to get together and, and create various um, lobbying or various policy uh, action items or, or changes, but this is all sort of machinations of policy, right? How do we, how do we get the government to help us lower these prices? And all of this is around, let's lower the price, let's lower the price. And now the price, the price is so high and this let's lower the price. It's not, it's not working. It's, it's, it's like squeezing blood from a stone a little bit. You're, you're not getting a lot of savings there. And so now the conversation is really starting to turn toward, okay, well, if we can't lower the price, can we do anything about the utilization, right? Because we know that specialty drug spend for employers is a factor of those two things. It's a factor of price and utilization. And on the utilization side, that's where the diagnostic industry is really stepping in. And this is where, you know, we're waving our hands and saying, we can absolutely work with you on utilization. And the reason for that is because the diagnostic industry is able to develop all these technologies, all these tests to figure out whether or not the patient's going to respond to the drug in the first place. When we don't know if a patient's going to respond to a drug or not, what happens is the overutilization of the try and fail, right? Let's cycle through the drugs and see which one works. And that can be one drug, two drugs, three drugs. It's usually much more than one drug. Um, and it usually will take more than six to 12 months to get a patient on a drug that, that works for them, depending on the condition that you're talking about. So I think that's the first real thing that we're seeing is that the employers are saying enough. We're not able to do enough on the cost of these drugs. We need to pivot into innovative solutions on utilization. And that's where they're really starting to turn their eye toward the diagnostics industry. Um, so I would say that's kind of the, the, the real the really big thing in the room that I feel is changing, but I'd be really interested in Jessica's perspective on this too. Thank you, Lena. I, well, one, I totally agree with everything you said. Um, it's very interesting. So I, I had mentioned earlier, I've been leading PBGH for eight years, which is honestly the amount of time that I've been working in the prescription drug space. Uh, it was very new and novel to me at that point. I had a crash course in, in 2014 um, to, to get up to speed really quickly as our legacy prescription drug program was up for contract. And um, at that time, we really were looking at how many employers we could get to adopt a generic substitution strategy. That was like the big thing almost 10 years ago is, is increasing the ger generic substitution rate. And um, today it's at eight, over 87%. And what happens is when we get employers and we work really hard to help them drive value and address waste in the system, both costs and clinical efficacy, we have games that are being played or produced and manufacturers um, and for this example, began to create Me Too products. Those are where they, they're similar molecules and new patents are created, taking two existing good drugs that oftentimes can be purchased over the counter 
and combining them and upping the price 200 to 5,000%. And so we found ourselves having to um, not only negotiate strong, aggressive contracts around rebates and AWP, but we've had to look at, whoa, we've, we've played an active role in getting employers to adopt uh, generic strategies. And now that is being disrupted with increasing the prices of those um, through these new uh, manufacturer programs. And so um, one thing I would say is this is creating savvier employer purchasers. They're no longer um, going to be duped. <laughs> uh, they understand that if they take an aggressive stance, whether it's a formulary strategy or implementing a program around prior authorizations or a generic substitution um, program, that they will anticipate that uh, the manufacturers in the industry will eventually try to disrupt their progress and, uh, and cause their, their prices to increase. And so we've been looking at a variety of different programs and innovators um, just to help us continue to pay attention and innovate um, around generics and specialty drugs and, and specific conditions um, and, and programs even around fertility treatment or mental health uh, programs that is causing an administrative burden uh, which is a challenge um, to continue the pace of adoption, I would say, but we certainly um, are very woke uh, as a purchasers and that trend I think will uh, allow us to be able to take advantage of a lot of different uh, new innovators that Alva 10, for example, is creating. One thing that um, I would say is another trend that isn't often spoken about in the uh, PBM space and the RX space, is now this um, reality and focus on health disparities and health equity. And that's one of the things that really aligned um, me to Alva 10 and wanting to learn more about what Lena and her team are, are doing is because I see this precision medicine and this identifying waste and the opportunities where um, certain patients won't be helped at all and that um, actually putting them on certain therapies will cause more harm. Um, as a health equity um, an imperative that we need to pay attention to as purchasers and employers. And employers are no longer seeing all employees and their families that they cover as homogeneous in that regard, that this future of precision medicine and targeted solutions um, will actually benefit more people in a way that they may have never been um, addressed or thought of or considered before when, we, when it comes to drug therapies. Thank you, Jessica, for that. And that, that's exactly what I was thinking based on reading a newsletter that I believe you had put out that was a precursor to the symposium. Uh, just thinking we have the fraction between the major medical insurances and then sometimes the carve-out opportunity of a PBM. And many of the human resource benefit coordinators that I hear back from even community pharmacies who are introducing to their own community, their own small businesses, the concept of the, the new PBMs, the bigger insurance carriers make it seem like it's super complex to do that carve out, to be able to give the employer an option for pharmacy benefit managers. Lena, what do you see happening in the carve-out space? Is, there, is this something, I feel like it's increasing. Like I feel like no longer are they, are the human resource benefit or the business owner being quote unquote snowed on it. They're really starting to say, 
no, I want this carve out to take place. But where do we res- where do we get to the the level of of bigger growth with this concept so that so that it can become a repeatable option? Sure, and thank you, Jessica, for saying what you did around um, around the equity because this is such a such a topic of conversation in healthcare, and I want to make sure that we that we really talk about that. Um, after, after we talk a little bit about the PBM piece too, because it's just so important in healthcare and it is so important to precision medicine. Um, Todd, on the PBM question specifically, I think that this conversation around carving out PBMs and how much more assertive employers are getting about their desire to carve out a PBM, that is almost, that's created, it's created an opportunity for PBMs to really start changing their business model. And I think that changing the PBM business model is absolutely key to getting Jessica's employers, if you will, the savings that they need. Um, Because today the business model for PBMs is largely based on rebates, right? And that means that the PBM doesn't have the financial incentive to make sure that the right drug is prescribed first, right? The more drug goes out the door, the more the rebate opportunity is. That's how that's how that financial model works, right? That's how that business model works. You are seeing and we're seeing a lot of PBMs come into the space today that are creating a new business model that is based largely on an administrative fee um, and a subscription fee, if you will, that gets charged to the employer and that subscription fee is wraps everything that that PBM does for that employer into that one fee. And it creates a system that takes the PBM off of the need for the rebates. And that enables the PBM to care a lot more when the wrong drug gets prescribed to the wrong patient. And that creates the opportunity for PBMs to start wrapping their specialty drug spend models in a clinical model. And that is the language of diagnostics. Because once you start talking about how do we clinically optimize drug spend, that is where diagnostics can play a massive role. And and I think that that opportunity right now, that new business model for PBMs um, is, is really cracking open the space. And it's frankly giving, I think, the top big three PBMs that obviously own a large majority of the market share in the US, uh, a huge, a huge run for their money. So I think that's another, that, that's another piece there on the PBM side. Um, but can, if we can, can we just return for a second to what Jessica said about the health equity piece, just because this is so important to precision medicine. Um, and, and, and I, and I want to make sure it gets discussed. Is that okay? Absolutely. You know, I, I still remember so clearly the first conversation that Jessica and I ever, ever had about this. And I, I think one of the things that almost encompasses the way that we see the space, um, it was, uh, it, there was an article in Nature actually that came out this summer and it had the perfect phrase. And this is the phrase that I now use to talk about this. And the phrase was precision medicine needs an equity agenda. And I think that is so true um, because we know that as much progress as we have made in the genomics industry, in the precision medicine industry, we also know that a lot of the genomic information that's in our databases today is, is based on European ancestry. 
And we know how important it is to um, create a scenario in which many more different ethnicities are represented, um, specifically uh, Black, Native American, and Asian ethnicities getting um, and genomic information getting represented in these databases so that we can continue to optimize tools that enable us to make medical decisions for those patients based on um, based on tools that were validated on their genomic information and not genomic information solely from um, European ancestry. And that is, that, is a, that is a big push right now in the precision medicine space. And so I think that even as, even as precision medicine continues to move forward, there's a, there's a health equity piece there that, that we are working on. The second piece is something that has a lot to do with with the care pathways. Um, when you think about this, a, a good way to think about this is actually in terms of uh, like breast cancer statistics. So American Cancer Society, latest statistics from American Cancer Society, um, recently published by the, the Susan G. Komen Foundation, found that 74% of black women between ages 50 and 74 had a mammogram within the last two years, compared to 73% of white women, that's more black women than white women, 71% of Hispanic women and 66% of Native American and Alaska Native women had a mammogram in the last two years. But those same findings also found that breast cancer mortality is 39% higher in Black women than white women. And that is the opportunity for us. That is our absolute challenge to say, are we, are we diagnosing these women and then their care pathways fall off a cliff? Something is going on here because that is not right. If more black women are getting mammograms than white women, why are black women dying at such a higher rate than white women? That is, that is not right. And that's where I think precision medicine also has a role to play because it, with their precision medicine care pathways in cancer today, um, there are a variety of ways that we can pick up after that mammogram and improve care delivery um, to get women the best possible care for their cancer and start reversing this, that second statistic, which is so worrisome because that second statistic speaks to how we deliver care and where we are failing to deliver um, in the healthcare setting in general, but also specifically in precision medicine because we have so many opportunities to, um, to personalize care in oncology. Um, in through through these pathways, and it's they're not hitting their target at the moment um, to the extent that they need to be. So I just wanted to talk about that because it, it it's something that I think is um, is is at the forefront of of Jessica's agenda at PBGH, and it is at the forefront of the precision medicine conversation today as well. Well, that's good to hear that the employers that you've heard from are in fact able to uh, carve out those benefits. It gives much more flexibility to their uh, employees in, cho in choice and being able to say, hey, do I want to use a local pharmacy? Do I want to go to my grocery store pharmacy? Do I want to use a chain pharmacy? I As, as pro-community uh, pharmacy that I am, I'm more, uh, my, my choice sets above, you know, everything. I want a patient to be able to make decisions for their health care and where they get their medications and who they trust in asking follow-up questions for their treatments and especially your chronic conditions to be able to engage, learn, be educated by their pharmacist. And I think they should be able to choose to do that anywhere that they want and not be glued or, or, or forced to use a, a mail order pharmacy, for example, 
um, when they have questions about medication follow-up, uh, they'll be told, oh, you can jump on our 800 number, or you can call into the call center, or you could even do a telemedicine consult. Well, that's all fine and good, but what if I want to go see a physical person? You know, where where does that lie with some of the controls that are put in place with the big three uh, PBMs that we're, that we're speaking of? Um, and I, I think that the reform that is taking place is going to bring light to so many things that we've talked about today, from technology that, that Lena touched on to um, uh, racism in modern medicine and health equity uh, that you've both touched on and how important that is. Dr. Aluko uh, spoke with Gil Bash. Uh, Dr. Aluko is the chief medical officer of Ernst & Young. Uh, Gil Bash is uh, the head of uh, global uh, health for Finn Partners, which is a big PR company, they had an amazing conversation about health equity. And Dr. Luco took it to an economics perspective of how it's holding back huge major metropolitan areas of being able to move forward in the progression of their um, of their prosperity. And that should be, um, you know, that that should show that. What, what you when you do what is right for people and their health care, it's going to be right for what what the community needs in order to be prosperous. And and now we're starting to see the data that that in fact is absolutely true. Lena, do you have you heard of data kind of digging into the world of of health equity and how it could it could become um, a prosperi prosperity instead of what people think might be uh, an additional expense of some sort. You know, um, the world that I live in is, is the world of diagnostics and developing diagnostics. And so when we think about health equity, we think about kind of the, the two big pillars that I mentioned, which is are we ensuring that all of the possible ethnicities and the relevant ethnicities to the problem are being represented in the tools that we're building? And are we ensuring that those tools are being made available to populations with the diagnoses, right, for which those tools are indicated? And that, that, has, a, that has a huge um, piece in, uh, in, in cancer specifically. Um, but in terms of what's going on in the data world for those two pillars, one of the things um, that I've learned about recently and was very excited to learn about is a variety of initiatives within the National Genome, um, Human Genome Research Institute that are um, working with, for example, the H3 Africa Initiative, which is led by African scientists in 30 countries in Africa, um, building genetic research capacity and basically ensuring that African genomes are making it into databases at a totally unprecedented rate. Um, and there's another, there's another initiative that I know about actually that's doing a similar thing with Alaska Native tribes. So what that, what that means for us as a society is that the genomic information that we are going to be working with is going to be far more representative of our society. And that when people with those ethnicities are being treated, they're being treated along statistics that were derived from their genomes and not just from European genomes. And I think that that is going to have a huge shift. I also know that there are a variety of initiatives going on, statewide initiatives um, around cancer screening, um, but also around 
care engagement in, in, in cancer. These statistics, um, and I just mentioned some of them from the American Cancer Society, but this very worrying storyline of we're starting to do a better job in screening in some areas. Why are some ethnicities and, and notably Black people um, dying at a higher rate? We have to keep digging into that. That is a um, that is a that is a sad and very uncomfortable statistic, and it, it we need to crack that open, and we need to figure out all the different ways that we can fix that. Um, but these conversations are very much occurring, and those are some of the initiatives I I know about that are working to start really moving the needle there. There's a division. I'm not sure if we call it a division. I say it because I'm looking at the website of of the. Uh, pbghpa.org, uh, which I'll, I'll have this in the show notes, um, which is the future of Pittsburgh requires equity, uh, bridges for health equity. Um, Jessica, can you give our listeners an, an overview of that? And then a shout out to our community pharmacists out there that want to understand more about this. Um, Sean Naren, who owns AcorRx down in Carnegie, Chris Antipas, who is part of uh, Asti's Pharmacy right there in the South Hills. So we we want you to understand more about this too. I'm going to actually send it to both of them and then get this to some of our, our Pittsburgh players. Lena, just as a, a, a closing thought um, and, and where Alva 10 is committed to continuing to improve benefits uh, through what you're doing, would you kind of give us a insight to the future? What, what you see happening with the organizations that you're helping to kind of combine all of this, that is uh, technology advancement, data analysis of actually making sense of it, and then also community-specific delivery of, of more and better healthcare services. Um, what organizations, what partners are you working with that you can um, show what's coming into the future? Sure. Um, so I think kind of as, as a summary comment and from a little bit of the broad strokes perspective, that the true north that we're looking at right now is, is kind of between two things. The first is that 75% of the about 7,000 medications that are currently in development are specialty drugs. And the second is that the cost of specialty drugs and the cost of pharmacy is a number one or number two line item within the healthcare spend um, for employers. And healthcare is a number one or number two line item at large for employers today. So the question that we're trying to answer is how do we use diagnostics to get healthcare spend dramatically down for employers. And that goes straight through the, the specialty where we have um, tremendous opportunity on, on the diagnostic side. So we are on one hand looking at um, the most innovative PBMs out there, um, PBMs that are doing a great job of being extremely transparent, like Navitus, um, PBMs that are doing a great job of vetting clinical tools and implementing clinical tools to optimize specialty spend like Welldyne. Um, we're looking at a variety of, of employers, um, large tech employers. We're looking at a variety of brokers um, that are very interested in providing these precision medicine solutions to their 
um, to their employers. So we're starting to see um, a lot more of this conversation around precision medicine in the in, in the brokerage space, which is very exciting, um, just given the, the tremendous reach and the mind share and the trust that brokers have with employers. Um, we're also looking at really innovative uh, retirement groups, retiree benefit groups, um, like Jane Gilbert and, and her group over at uh, Kentucky Teachers Retirement System. Um, these are groups that have put together diagnostic programs, um, have looked at the clinical and economic impact in their populations and, and have drawn really powerful conclusions. Um, and lastly, we're, we're thinking also about that last line, that last yard of diagnostic delivery, which is really healthcare delivery, right? What are, in a post-pandemic world, how do you get diagnostic information to people who will be empowered with that information, empowered to make much more cost-efficient um, and clinically efficient, efficient solutions, right? We are dealing with um, disadvantaged communities that have, are not being told the full story around their, their healthcare, right? There's a lot of trust lost as well in disadvantaged communities um, from, from the healthcare perspective, but how can we help um, provide information to people that is going to empower them to say, I didn't know that that drug only had a 20% chance of working on me. And now that I have this information, I'm going to make a different decision for myself and my family because I have a totally different understanding of risk perspective. Or before I get put on this really expensive drug, I want to make sure that this drug is going to work on me. Or I want to make sure that this drug isn't going to interfere with the other medications that I'm on. How do you empower consumers but especially in disadvantaged communities, how do you educate these consumers um, to demand the diagnostic information that we can provide? That's that last yard that, that we're really thinking about because um, without precision delivery, and our, our chief medical officer says this to us every day, and it's become, it's become a real part of our culture, without precision delivery, you can't have precision medicine. You, you can build all the tools in the world, but you got to get them to the people. Thank you, Lena, for that. I very much appreciate it. Appreciate your insights. It absolutely makes sense. Jessica, I've been so excited to finally get you on the podcast. I think there's other things that we could definitely vet out together, including the resources that we have within the network. There's 45 plus hosts that um, that speak on so many different topics. 100% uh, of those topics are impacting patients. And much of that could be curbed back to the insights of, of your organization, as well as the members. So I'm going to definitely keep in touch with you and pay attention to the upcoming events. So the Pharmacy Podcast Network could uh, possibly become more involved. But I just want to say thank you so much for uh, sharing with us today. Thank you so much, Todd. Always a pleasure to, to talk to you. Yes, absolutely. If you'd like to learn more about the Pittsburgh Business Group on Health, uh, please go to pbghpa.org. Um, once again, I will have that in the show notes. And then if you want to learn more about Alva 10, it's alva10dx.com. Once again, that's alva10dx.com. Thank you both so much for sharing today. Uh, we expect... Um, questions and tweets and LinkedIn and lots of sharing. So we'll be tagging you and um, getting um, getting some feedback on this discussion, as well as what pharmacists think uh, of what we shared today and, and how they can help uh, their own specific communities more uh, with education and helping to move their communities forward. 
And with that, I thank you so much for listening to the Pharmacy Podcast. Thank you.